Before the RouterFlex podcast episode of the day, a quick word from our sponsor and friends at Marketing 360. Try the number one marketing platform for small business. Everything you need from design to marketing to CRM. Learn more at marketing360.com. Marketing 360, fuel your brand. How's my hair look? Does my hair look okay? Do I need to like set myself? <laughs> I think you're all set. <laughs> uh, Krista Morgan on the Rider Flex podcast. How you doing, Krista? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, interested to hear your story. I was was stalking you, you know, last night and this morning getting ready for the for the podcast. And uh, in fact, I was on the treadmill listening to uh, a podcast you did with somebody. I apologize. Can't remember who the name was, but uh, I was listening. So, yeah, I was, I'm, I'm curious to get into it, especially since I'm also not just a podcast host, but I am a founder uh, and an entrepreneur of a small business. Rider Flex, our recruiting firm now is about a million dollar recruiting firm. So as you were talking about uh, startups and companies to invest in, I was like, okay, yeah, I'm leaning in now. I want to, I want to, I want to <laughs> listen. So, but before we get into that, will you tell us about yourself personally, maybe give us some family history. Are you from Canada? Is it, or did you, did you just go to school yeah. there? But anyway, give it, give us some early stuff. Yeah, no, sure. So I, uh, so I'm Canadian you know, and I, I've lived there, you know, most of my life, my sort of early, early childhood. Um, we were in Germany because my parents, oh. parents, yeah, sold uh, like com early computers to the U.S. Army around Germany. And so really? that's, <laughs> yeah, so that's where I was born, uh, cool. but spent most of my, like, call it formative, you know, school um, all the way up to university in Montreal, which is great. So I speak terrible French and, yeah, yeah. uh, <laughs> and I, you know, I try to be really nice and polite to people so they don't, you know, take away my passport. Cause that, that's the thing. <laughs> uh, Were both your parents in sales mm -hmm. or did they yeah. really, is that how they well, met? Uh, sales and marketing, you know, no, I think they met kind of through personal relationships, oh, okay. but they were working together. So my mom went first and then told the company she was going to leave to go and marry my dad. And then they just said, no, no, we'll give him a job. Really? They, yeah. Yeah. And then my understanding is that then they made him her boss, which as you can imagine, was great. <laughs> Through their oh, yeah. yeah, I'm sure that one worked out really well. Yeah. <laughs> what, just you, just you or any siblings? No, me and I have uh, two, two brothers and a sister. So there's two brothers and four a sister. Of us. Yeah. All right. Where are you at in the mix? I am the eldest. You are? Oh, man. Yeah. Okay. So that's uh, some of the early leadership skills, big time responsibilities, babysitting, all that stuff. All that stuff. Yes, I am. I'm like the, like, put like just definition of, of eldest child. Like I fit all the, all the criteria. So you were going to school. looks like you majored in economics and poli sci. What, what was the, what was the early plan? What, what were you going to be when you, when you grew up? Oh man, you know, I don't, I don't, I had no idea what I was going to do, honestly. Uh, you know, I had to pick my major and I just, you know, my dad had studied economics and I was like, that seems sensible. And so I just went into economics, <laughs> turned out, I mean, it was fine. You know, I learned a lot, but I, it wasn't my, it wasn't my passion. Um, I would say 
I think I had a general idea I might go into business, but I didn't really know what business was, you know, when you're 18, you just, right. like, yeah. it doesn't mean yeah. anything. Uh, so I came up, but I started working. Like, so then I got my first job in an office, like the office, um, kind of assistant in a manufacturing firm. And then I started to learn what business was and, you know, I've just been in business. Like, (laughs) yeah, but somehow now somewhere along the line, you got this entrepreneurial bug, like, like, were you working for somebody else? And you're like, yeah. I think I want to start my own. Th- I mean, walk us in, walk us into yeah. to be investor, right? Uh, w- yeah. w- which you founded and eventually exited. I mean, give us the, I know it's not the focus of the podcast, but walk us into how you went from a career and a regular job to, Oh, I want to be an entrepreneur. If you don't mind. Yeah, no, good, good question. Cause I didn't, I, so I became an entrepreneur when I basically just when I was turning 30 and okay. so through my twenties, I, and you know, I was not, you know, you have all these entrepreneurs. So like, I've been an entrepreneur, you know, selling lemonade, you know, like and on the street. And I never, I never did any of that. So I never thought I would start my own business. I uh, ended up getting into advertising. I moved to London when I was about 25. Okay. And I worked in advertising uh, and marketing. And then, you know, I was, I was like, I think just a lot of little things. I started feeling like I wasn't that happy in my career. I couldn't see a path forward. I was just feeling like, you know, this kind of wasn't for me. And I was talking to my dad who lives here in Colorado Uh and he and I came up, the idea for PWI was very organic. You know, it was like, we talked about a lot of things. He told me about invoice financing, just, and I told him about crowdfunding and we put those two ideas together and we started a business and I moved to Colorado and I became an entrepreneur and I just, I knew nothing. I didn't know how to raise money. I didn't know anything about startups or the startup scene or Silicon Valley, like all the, this world I live in now, I just, it was so far away from, you know, what I was doing. Now, were you married at the time? Uh, kind of, I mean, basically I'm, I've been with my now husband. We, we just got married a couple of years ago, but we've been together for all 17 years. So did you meet him in London or you met him in Canada? In Canada. Yeah. We met, uh, back in college. So, so we you were like, to London you're, together. you were like, Hey, go to London with me. I got this job. He's like, okay. Uh, <laughs> no, it was actually the opposite. He was oh. like, Hey, I'm going to do my master's in London. And so oh, I, I went with him. And so then when it was my turn, I was like, Hey, let's go to Denver and let me start a company. Uh, let's go to Denver. I'm going to quit my job here. You, you, you quit your job too. And let's go to Denver and like be, be entrepreneurs. You know, it, it, it sounds, it like, sounds ridiculous it, was, when you say it like that, but, but yes, that's what we did. Were you, were you like, oh, it'll be fine. We can just live with my dad. We don't have to like get a house right away. That's how we can save money. No, we definitely did. He was like, we need to have our own place right away, which so, but yeah, it was pretty much, you know, we'll just figure it out. And we came here, I started a company and then he, uh, you know, found a job here, which he loves. And so, and now we've been here 10 years. So it's been you, uh, give us give us the short story here before we get into stage um p2b investor how you and your dad grew it for let's see looks like you had it for eight or nine years or so right 
Yeah, yeah, basically. So I would say it really kicked off in like 2013-ish. And then, you know, we uh, sold it in November of 19. Okay. And uh, yeah, so it was, it was, it was a great ride. I mean, so we're a financial technology company. We provided financing to small businesses. So got to work with a ton of great companies we provided about a billion dollars of financing over that time. You, so and it was a fund. We, you were managing a fund, or what? What? Uh, no, it was. It was kind. Of, I mean, yeah, kind of, but not a not a traditionally structured fund. So it was like a, lo- a loan portfolio, and our money came from private investors that wanted to, you know, earn a better interest rate by investing directly in loans. Okay, let me let so me we were, pause. We were your, like a me... middleman. Okay, let me pause you right there. Did your dad have the connections with all these rich people or how did that work? No, we built everything ourselves. You know, me and my dad, like we had to make connections. I built a whole network here. I, you know, we, everything from the ground up. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Well, let me, okay, hold on. I'm having a vision. So you and your dad, you're, you're meeting with me. I'm a billionaire that lives in Boulder. You're meeting with me. Right? You're like, hey, um, we're starting this company and we want you to like give us a bunch of your money and we'll manage it for you. Make sure it gets invested. And then I go, well, have you done this before? Well, no, not really, but we're going to be really good at it and you need to trust us. <laughs> what can I say? My dad and I are really good salespeople. <laughs> so, particularly my dad. I, I learned a lot from him. He's it must have been the, it must have been the theater. It must have been the theater and some of the acting you did in college that helped you with these, these selling right. skills. Exactly right. Exactly right. Wow, so, yeah. Okay. All right. I mean, so we I mean, look, it was like one, one day at a time, you know, we, we learned we raised, you know, a 100,000 and then, you know, a million and then we kept going from there over the course of the over the course of the company we raised about 15 million dollars in equity and about uh you know 125 million dollars of debt wow congratulations wow really i mean that's a cool story really cool uh i'm i know that the podcast is not to focus on that particular business so we we can't dive into it fully but i'm going <laughs> to guess there were some scary moments in there i'm going to guess it wasn't just smooth sailing the whole time from start okay. to finish it was not. It's actually sort of the story of how it ended. You know, it didn't. It actually didn't end quite. You know, the way I hoped oh. it would. Um, oh, okay. Okay. And the way it the way it ended was actually the foundation for what I'm doing now. Oh. So we good ended segue. up. Good segue. Yeah. So we ended up having basically the we got involved in a fraud. So just kind of events beyond our control, you know, this, our, uh, platform, you know, got involved in this fraud, a bunch of money got lost and Mm. we had Mm. to very quickly turn things around and like get the company to a place where the people we owed money to could like run it and get their money back. And (sighs) I know, so it was a really tough, um, Mm. Mm. it was really tough. You know, it was about three months and I, had brought in my now partner, Dan, uh, at stage, cause he founded stage, you know, back in 2009, uh, okay. I had, and they worked historically his stages worked with companies that are some kind of distress, something's gone wrong and they help turn them around and, you know, make them. Uh, oh, and you had brought Dan in from stage for that reason for I had actually I had actually brought him in on a step like sort of for something separate like you know to help me and uh 
he was just there as all this as this thing kind of exploded okay. <laughs> uh, i've got a good i actually wrote i wrote about it on linkedin so if anyone's interested the stories on one of my linkedin articles oh great uh, okay cool see, yeah is this but, like is this like scary stuff where like your dad's trying to find people in dark alleys that took money and stuff like that like like, like <laughs> no, a movie is quite. it like a movie no. <laughs> it wasn't quite like a movie oh, but it was okay but you know look it was it was really, it was really hard. You know, you build this thing, it was going really well. And then all of a sudden this crazy thing happens, kind of like mm. COVID happened to a lot of, you know, businesses. Mm. Um, and no, sorry, I, I didn't mean to digress. Yeah. All right. So you so you had brought in down. Right, so, so anyway, you, so you got to a better point to sell it or just close it? No, we sold it. So it's still okay. running today. So it's been sold. It's so really what happens. Um, and this happens, this is what we do now is, you know, the company had borrowed a bunch of money that we were then lending to businesses. And so the people we had borrowed money from, you know, are now able to manage that portfolio and get it, ca it's cash flowing so okay. that they can eventually, you know, get their money back is, which right. is really the, what's important. You know, when you borrow mm -hmm. money from people, it's important mm -hmm. to try to pay it back to them. Uh, so we yes. got the company, you know, I had to make a bunch of cuts. I had to like, you know, I just had to do all the hard things that you have to do when you have to quickly um, deal with the tough situation. And so then once it was sold, I left and I went to Bali just before COVID hit. So I was really lucky I got to <laughs> go on vacation. Cool. Um, and I came back and I talked to Dan and he said, you know, for better, for worse, you like have a real gift in these tough situations. He's like, you should come and be a partner with me at stage. I see, I see. And okay. we buy, so our fund, uh, we buy companies that have hit some kind of a, you know, troubled state and they need a fresh start, right? They need new capital, they need new management. They just, they need to say like, how do we move forward? And so we, buy companies and we you know distressed on the bottom distressed on the bottom line but but solid revenue and a, a brand in place and it's just it, not, not being yeah. run right okay. yeah it's usually just to be honest with you it's usually distressed on the balance sheet like usually it's that they've borrowed Too more money debt. than they can pay back you know yeah. they're in trouble they owe they basically owe whoever it is too much money and they can't okay. get out of it well, how does and that? So, well, how, how does that make me better? If I just if I if I call you, you're just gonna borrow. You're just gonna loan me money too. So how does that work? <laughs> oh no, we don't loan. We don't loan money. We buy the company. So we come in. We negotiate with the lender. We basically we restructure the deal. We buy I the see. company and I we see. partner with the entrepreneur. Um, buy and we buy say, as in does the entrepreneur like get to keep a little tiny piece of equity or or how, yeah. I guess it depends. Yeah, on the more thing. than I mean, you know, we we try to we try to make sure the entrepreneurs are still incentivized to keep going if they want to. You gotcha. know, sometimes entrepreneurs are done when something's gone wrong, they don't want to go yeah. forward. So it just yeah. depends. Yeah. So let me, let me summarize real quick before we get into a full overview of stage. So yeah. when you were wrapping up your company and selling it and you kind of knew Dan from stage and, and Dan knew you guys were going through all through some of those problems at, at B2B. And so he knew you had experienced that and you were experienced at, at those kinds of things. And so you, he's like, Hey, come over here and join me as a managing partner. Um, when, and so then you did that in March of 2020. Hey, great time to join a new company. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, uh, 
then, yeah, and then, then what did he say then? He was like, hey, listen, thanks for joining, but the world's coming to an end now, so never mind. No, I'm just Well, kidding. honestly, <laughs> well, for us, funny enough, that was the best time, right? We've seen so, there are a lot mm. of companies that COVID just, you know, mm. they got into a bad place, mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. you know, so a lot of revenue went down. So we've, um, if anything, uh, when you're running a distressed fund, it's like a good time. Well, you know? I guess that's true. <laughs> I guess that was some silver lining. We're um, okay. I guess this would be a good time now. Give it. Give us the three minute. Give us the elevator pitch for stage as it stands today. Go for it. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so stage. So we're a private equity fund uh, that and that buys you know distressed companies and turns them around and gives them a second chance. It's really at our core, what we do, we like to say, we give companies a second act. So, okay. You know, all right. And, and, when you, and think, what's your, what's your target? Is your target small, mid, what, what's what, certain industries? Go ahead. Pretty so I would say typically two to $15 million in revenue. So not okay. huge companies. Uh, okay. They are, our industries are technology, tech enabled service, and then consumer product companies. Right now, uh, since last year, we've bought four. We've bought four companies. So mm. we own a company, company that does, uh, you know, provides staff and technology for brands in the retail sector. So as you can imagine, as COVID came, they were in a tough spot. But fundamentally, a great company. So we bought them. We own a company that does e-commerce chat. So pre-sales chat for e-commerce. And then I own a company that makes chicken coops. <laughs> I, when you say, when you say I, does, were you separating yourself out from stage? For, for Sorry, no, reason? I meant I, I, okay, we. Okay, we okay, made. okay. All right, just um, chicken, chicken coops. Uh, you know, chicken that's, coops. A, that's a big thing though. Like everybody's got these, uh, I, I, didn't know, I didn't even know. My my neighbor was like, "Hey man, did you know you could like rent these? It's like a rental thing. Like you you rent you rent you pay like a monthly thing, and then like when they stop laying during the winter or whatever, they come get them and they bring them back." And I'm like, "Huh? What?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, chickens. It's like a it's a huge growing industry, right? People a lot backyard chickens have become really yeah. popular. So Super. I have we have a company that sells chicken coops, and then we just bought uh, Haystack, who are a local Colorado company um, that make goat cheese. It's okay. So, That's probably another big thing, especially in Colorado. Um, all yeah, right. Yeah. You're, okay. All right. You, so, <laughs> goat cheese and, chicken, <laughs> goat cheese and goat. chicken coops don't quite go with your opening line of what you invest in, but that's okay. <laughs> well, they do consumer product. It's all consumer. Oh, it's consumer oh, so, so those okay, are consumer okay, products. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. All right. So we've got, we've got, we've got both. Um, yeah. Tech and, and consumer product. And so it's a, but we're very, I would tell you, we're a very opportunistic fund. It's a lot about, you know, who, like, who's bringing us the deal? What does it look like? You know, our, our job is to see value where other people don't see it. Okay. You know, we like to say that we create, you know, we, we create like value out of chaos, you know, when mm -hmm. all these things are going wrong, you know, investors typically, equity investors don't typically like to invest when things are going wrong, as you can mm -hmm. imagine, because mm -hmm. they may as well give their money to someone who's, you know, trajectory is going up into the right, but they're like anyone who's been an entrepreneur, you know, you like it, sometimes things happen and 
you've done everything right and something goes wrong. And I think we do a really, you know, bad job um, in this, the startup community, especially, you know, we say, we say that failure is really important and failure is nothing to be ashamed of, but the truth is like having been an entrepreneur that felt like I failed, it did not feel like I could be open about that. It did not mm. feel mm. like that was supported. It felt like all of a sudden you're no longer in the winner's circle and everyone's mm. like, okay, well, that's not where we want to focus. And so I love that, you know, we're building this fund where we do get to say to entrepreneurs, like, this is not about you. You did not do a bad job. Just life happens. And sometimes your business doesn't go the way you hoped it would. And, you know, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be amazing? Like if, you know, I would have loved if, you know, stage had been able to, you know, come in and invest in my company. I could have kept running it, you know, in a different way. Well, but yeah, but if that would have happened, you wouldn't be where you're at today. I wouldn't be doing this. Yeah, no, exactly. Right. right. So everything everything kind of happens for a reason. Is your, so would this be an ideal situation for you? So um, let's say I make, uh, I don't know, I make the seed, I make the seed that the chickens are going to eat or whatever. Uh, (laughs) And I'm doing $6 million in revenue, been in business for about five years. Revenue is actually up 20% last year, but I took out some, I, I grabbed a hold of some cash from various places because I was going to use that for additional sales and marketing because I really wanted to blow it up. And I thought we were going to double our revenue, but we were only up 20%, not 100%. Now I got this, this giant debt on my balance sheet. And um, I'm kind of a messy, visionary entrepreneur that's not a very good operator. And so I kind of make things messy all the time with the 100 employees that I have. Um, and the, and, and, and I don't see us getting out of this debt and the company's not throwing off, you know, anywhere close to 10 or 15% of the bottom line. Is that, is that your target? Yeah. I mean, that could absolutely be a, a situation we would look at. Okay. Like I would say there's no, I guess typically, yeah, it's someone to your point, you took capital for growth that didn't go the way you wanted it to. And now you don't have that growth to pay back that capital yeah. and you're yeah. forced to do some kind of restructure. Um, when yeah. you say buy, do you, would, do you only do deals you grab hundred percent of, or, or you're just, just as long as you're in control. As long as we're in control. So typically okay. we own anywhere for, I would say typically we own 60 to 80% of a okay. company that, okay. that we buy. So we're control. And then what's nice is we're, so we're very hands-on, right? So I, like I am very involved in the chicken coop company. So I spend cool. a lot of time. I know a lot about chickens and chicken coops more than I thought <laughs> I would. So partners are heavily involved. And then we have a team uh, that does like finance, all the finance, accounting, HR, legal, all of that gets handled centrally by our fund. So we remove all that out of the companies, which makes them, one, it reduces cost because we're able to centralize. And then two, it makes them easier to sell because generally in an acquisition, you know, there's a lot of back office that you don't need. So it's really easy for the company to just like pull out. So what, so what does that look like on the company's company's income statement? If they don't have those, uh, those specific overhead expenses, how, how does that work? How do you show that? we show it as a management fee. So like we're charging that back to the company. So, but then someone who's looking at the P&L could easily say, oh, these costs are going to go away as soon as we acquire. 
this company. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. All right. So you have your own internal people to do all that at yep. stage. They manage all that yep. for several companies. Yep. Does that, so what'd you say, HR, accounting, and what else? Uh, HR, accounting, legal, and then like and fi- sort of financial modeling, like all the FP&A work. That needs to now, how, now, how does that work on? I don't want to dive down into a cultural HR yeah. conversation, like a full blown <laughs> deal, but I'm just like, okay, well, you got several different companies. They all have different kind of cultures and styles, and you got an HR <laughs> team that's trying to manage completely different personalities and styles and cultures. How does that, that might be a little challenging, maybe? Yeah, it would be. So, I would, one, um, Typically, the company you know that we're dealing with less, fewer than twenty employees, so we're okay. not usually managing tons of employees. I would say our HR is more like the, you know, call it practical HR management. You know, all the payroll, all the benefits, okay. and then the actual culture piece is usually handled by the CEO okay. of the company. Gotcha. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. So that's all right. You know, typically how right. how it works. All right, cool. And where's the money come from? Uh, what's your who's your target investor? We're pri- like private, you know, private limited partners. So generally high net high net worth individuals. Our first fund is relatively small, so we're not we don't have institutional money on this fund, you know. So like as in no big like pension funds or you know sort of endowments. Mm-hmm. So this mm-hmm. first one is a lot of people that have invested with my partner, Dan, over the last 10 years. So he has a strong track record of doing this. You so know, we're building I, on his track record. You know, I've, I don't know if you looked at my background before the podcast, I am, I'm a pretty good operator and I've, I've I ran a couple of $40 million companies as a CEO and COO. So I know the game a little bit, but I never was involved with raising cash, right? Like I, I never had to set across the dinner table and ask a billionaire to write a, write a million dollar check. Like I never closed a deal like that. Um, but I have seen it done. And, uh, <laughs> and that is a work of art. Uh, just that whole dance that happens. So, so Dan, so, so Dan is the, is the money raiser or you, you take part in that, that piece too, or does he get the cash and then, and then you focus on the operations of the business? Yeah, it's fine. I used to, um, I used to give a lot of advice on fundraising and we, you know, one thing that always, one thing I learned about fundraising, cause I, you know, I had to, I had to raise money and I had no idea how to do it. You know, so I had to talk mm-hmm. to a lot of people and, and do a lot of research. And I learned that, you know, fundraising is 75% like preparation, right? Mm-hmm. Preparation of, you know, PowerPoints, all your documents, getting your data room, right? Like being able to, answer questions in a very professional way. Cause when, to your point, when you want to sit across the table from a billionaire and they're like, tell me about your track record, you know, you want to be able to give them your spreadsheet. That's very easy to understand so that they can, right. you know, they trust you. And then 25% of it is just having, call it the sales part, right? It's like having the conversations and doing the follow-up and, and making mm-hmm. the connections. Right. And so what Dan and I, you know, I am very good at the 75% of preparation (laughs) and a lot of the follow-up and paperwork and making sure, you know, people (laughs) trust us, right. That Dan says, we're going to do this and I, we can give them backup, you know, to, to prove it. And then Dan is, yeah, he, look, he, this was his, his vision, you know, he has a ton of turnaround experience, you know, so we go in together he tells his story. I talk about 
how the fund works, why they, why they can trust us with their money, right? Because that is really, it's about trust in fundraising. Uh, it's uh, which one is the chicken or the egg first? We'll go back to the chicken tie-in. Are you, are you, do you find an opportunity and you're like, Ooh, this company right here is a good one and then go get the cash or is the cash already in a fund ready to roll? And they're telling, they've told you go find something or both. Uh, it's been right now. It's been the, it's been the former because we've been, we haven't closed the fund yet. I so see. we've been, you know, raising money kind of on a, on a deal by deal basis. But okay. the plan okay. is we have a fund, a committed capital fund, and we can just go out and buy these companies. Cause usually in a situation where there's some kind of distress, you have to move quickly, right? You don't have time to take 90 days to close a deal. Like, comp- I mean, you know, right. If you're running out of cash, like you're running out of cash and then the asset, the company starts to lose people, lose customers very quickly. It, you know, starts to um, disintegrate. So we, uh, you know, we, the fund really helps us get it, get things moving quickly. Are your investors, uh, last question on investors, then we can move to something different, but on the investors, are you letting these people, are these active investors that they're like, Hey, I want to come to the board. I want to come to the company board meeting or whatever. Are these, are these passive or what, or both or what? Most of them right now are passive. I would say if, um, but what we would do is like, if we had an investor who, you know, was an expert on chicken coops, I would say, Hey, would you like, to sit on the board of this, you know, chicken coop company that we're running. But no, in a fund situation, they're really what they want to do is they want to have a relationship with the general partners. No doubt. And yeah, and then they don't really get involved in the, you know, operations or they don't want to go into too much detail on each portfolio company. Um, Unless it's been seven years since they gave you money and they want to know where their money's at. (laughs) Correct. Yeah. So hopefully that won't happen. Our aim is to be able to sell companies within, you know, like really we target three, three, four years. I mean, hey, if you can do it, if, I mean, three. If you can, if you can do it in three years, good for you. I mean, I mean, that's that's a home <laughs> run, right? I mean, you know, yeah. I do. You know how often I've heard that from PE folks are like, oh yeah, our target's three years, and I go, well, how many have you done in three years? Well, uh, most of them, <laughs> a lot of them stretch to five. You know, whatever. Yeah, uh, the, no, I, the good news, good news about that though, and Dan, you know, Dan always says this to people: is you know, our goal as a fund is really to hit like we're like a singles and doubles fund. You know, you get a lot of venture funds that are all about the home runs and we're about singles and doubles. You know, most of our money is made on the buy. Like if we buy the company right, then honestly, like the day it actually comes to us, we've usually like made money, right? The company's already more valuable than it was for the, than it was before we bought it. So we've gotten lift on the price and then our target you know, we can sell a company for, we're investing $3 million and we own 80%, right? So in that scenario, we can sell a company for $12 million and make 4X our money, gotcha. 3X our money gotcha. in that scenario. Gotcha. Let me guess, you only so, buy a company for $3 million if they actually have like, I don't know, $3 million worth of pro- products set in a warehouse that you could sell for, sell, <laughs> sell if you had to, you could cash out and be like, okay, cool, we broke even. No, I'm just kind joking. Of. Yeah, but no, it's I it's a lot it's like that, right? It's it's about, you know, we we pay, we try to we try to buy it for as little upfront and then we yep. keep our cash to be able to invest in the go forward business. Is um I bet one of your targets, I'm going to make an assumption here, tell me if I'm wrong. Yeah. Um 
is one of your targets a founder that is just tired, man. The founder's like, okay, look, if I can just, if, if I can get, if I personally can get 500 K out of this and I'm almost 60. Yeah. Here, please take it. Go. Is that, is that a target for you? I mean, something like that. Yeah, definitely. That happens. You know, we, we actually, I'm, I'm putting out a term sheet right now for a company where, you know, pretty good company, 3 million, I think 3 million in sales. Um, they've gotten underwater with their manufacturer. So they owe their manufacturer like, you know, million dollars. And, and when we talk to the founder, he's like, I just, he's like, I'm a sales and marketing guy. He's like, that's what I want to do. I'm tired of fundraising. I'm tired of dealing with all the finances. And he's like, I just, all this stuff is happening. And it's a real distraction to me just doing what I want to do, which is like build this product, build and sell this product that I love. And Mm -hmm. so we came in and we're like, okay, great. Look, how about we partner, right? We'll provide you the capital. We'll handle the finance. We will do all the stuff you don't want to do. And we will just support you. And, and, you'll, and you'll put in your own CEO. Nope. In that case, we would keep the CEO. We don't always mm. put in our own CEO. It really depends. You know, mm. it depends mm. if the CEO mm. wants to stay. Not now all you, CEOs want right? to. That's right. Not all CEOs want to. Now, you know, when you do need to put in a CEO, I know this really cool recruiting firm that's super awesome. <laughs> it's called Butterflex. It's called, I don't huh, you've ever heard yeah. of it. No, I'm just joking. No, I didn't. I'm not trying to turn this into a sales pitch. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so, so, so if the founder wants to stay and you think they're competent, you'd, you'd, you'd leave them in place. Yeah. Or depends. sometimes we say, we depends. say you take a, you know, you remain founder, but we'll bring in an operator. Yeah. You know, who's going mean, right. to help run things. Yeah. It really just depends. You know, if some founders, yeah, like it, every, every situation is different, but I would tell you that like, I'm a, you know, I'm a founder, our partner Ingrid is a founder, Dan's a founder. We are very sensitive to founders. Like we just, you know, if I Mm -hmm. can find a way to keep the founder and keep them happy, then that's my preference. Cause I know the value that a founder brings to a company. Like they're, it's very hard to replicate their passion, Yes. you know? And if you yes. can find a way for them to stay happy, stay productive and stay focused, mm-hmm. then they're worth it. And then it's worth it. I couldn't agree you know, more. It's just, yeah, you, I, you can't always yeah. do that. You know, sometimes they're just done. And, you know, I can tell you like by the time, you know, PWBI was ending, we got it sold and all, like by the time I was done, I was, I was like, I can't, like, I, like, I gotta yeah. go. You yeah, know, there yeah. was no, even yeah. though the company was still going, I was like, it's time for me, you know, to go do something else. Um, being a former ops guy, former ops executive myself and, and uh, ending up, ending up in a few turnaround situations. I was in a turnaround for an apparel company in 08 and 09. And, uh, and then I've seen a few other situations where I've been involved. It, correct me if I'm wrong, but most of the time, I don't know. If, I, I would just think the majority of the time, it seems to me that, that that there's founders that are like super visionary, super creative, idea people, got it going, had a little traction, but then the company got to a point where it really needed an operator. Like they should have hired a COO like a few years ago, but they didn't. Yeah. And then they keep, they keep trying, then they try to be an operator and the visionary and that just does not work most of the time. And then the company just goes to shit because it gets messy. I mean, I don't know how many times I've seen that. Is, is, is that, do you see that all the time too? 
Yeah. I mean, a lot of the time, that's why the company's gotten into trouble, right? The founder was like, and, and, you know, it's funny, I can say that. And I can tell you that as a founder, I have made exactly that mistake. Mm -hmm. I have spent money on the wrong things. I have not hired the right people. I just, I, and I was so, there were times where I was so optimistic about how something was going to go. And Mm -hmm. I just couldn't, you know, no one was going to talk, talk me out of it. And sometimes that worked out in my favor and sometimes it didn't. And you just, you know, you don't know. So yeah, for sure. You know, I think, which is why I love like now, you know, I was talking with my partner, you know, Ingrid about this. What I love about doing, you know, the work at stage is that I get to sit, you know, outside of the company and I don't have that personal attachment to decisions you know it's like when you I can just say like look we got to let this person go and yeah it's really hard or hey you're not great at this like we got to bring this person in like we need this talent and it's so much easier when it's not your baby like it's like a hundred times easier you know it's it's just a hundred times easier I really appreciate you saying that it's interesting as a recruiting firm we will do a little bit of consulting every once in a while because I was an ops guy I recently recently got called on an operational consulting gig that I passed on, but I went over and this company was doing about, like you said, about 12, I was about 12 million bucks appliance company. And I went over, uh, they wanted me to kind of come in and clean up the situation be like an interim COO type type deal. I, I was over there for two days. I wrote like, you know, I wrote like a five page overview of like, here's all the shit you need to like, this is all the stuff you're doing wrong right here. I mean, this is, None of this is rocket science. Here it is. Boom. (laughs) And I came back and I was called, I called my, my co-founder and I said, you know, like all that stuff I just blasted them for, like, we're doing a lot of that here. Like we're doing, we're we're making this, (laughs) but but I don't challenge my own self on it. Like I should, Uh, you're right. It's so easy when you're outside looking in, it really is, isn't it? Wow. Yeah, it is. And so that's what I love now is, you know, I will say, you know, when I was at PDBI, we had a lot of investors because we had raised a bunch of money. And I, what I found I didn't get from my investors was that like coaching and that kind of, I think of it as what's the book, like the radical candor, you know, this like sort of being very honest, but in a kind way, you know, like (laughs) with, with empathy, you know, and I, I didn't, I didn't have a lot of that. I always felt like I was being like attacked in some, in some way. And so now I really work hard to sit, you know, with the operate and and still even with the operators of our companies, right. They're not all founders. It's, but it's like, Hey, this is not, this is not going well. Mm -hmm. And they're like, yeah, but it's going to just, it's just going to be two more weeks or whatever. And I'm like, no, like we're cutting it now. But Krista, Krista, we've always done it. We've always done it that way. And our clients, our clients really expect that. Yeah. But, but it's a lot easier once you've made all the mistakes to see it, you know, somewhere sort of in, in, um, you know, in, in these situations. So, but I think I it's to- what differentiates us. Cause when I taught, when we are selling ourselves as a fund, as a partner, cause our deals are look, the deals are often hard, right? They're not, it's not Mm -hmm. the exit everyone Mm -hmm. wanted. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it is a fresh start and it is an opportunity to have that exit, right? Because we want to, I mean, obviously we want to make money, right? We want our companies to do really well. Mm -hmm. And I think coming to the table as a founder with that empathy, having been through what 
you know, a turnaround situation, it, it just, it's like, I can see in the right, yeah. in the founders, like demeanor that they're just so grateful that someone gets it. Cause they're, right. you know, cause it's hard, you know, yeah. it's really hard and you're real, it's really lonely. The fact that you have that experience, I think is huge. I really think that's a, that's going to be a, a huge difference maker for you guys as you grow, because, you know, you bring in some hot shots from a big firm turnaround firm and Johnny comes in with Mary and you're the founder of this $10 million company. And you're looking at Johnny and Mary, you've already checked their LinkedIn profile. Neither one of them have even owned a business before or been a startup person. They have, you know, okay, you went to Columbia, that's cool, but you don't, you know, <laughs> but they see your profile and they know what you went through and your background and that's so authentic. I think that makes a huge difference. I think that's, that's huge. Yeah, agreed. You know, taking, taking my, you know, hard experience and turning it into something yes. good. I mean, that's all you can do, right? Yeah. That's because, you know, that I, I learned when people say that like your experience is really valuable, you, you really don't believe it. You really think, selling your company for a billion dollars is the only thing that's going to be valuable, you know, but on the other side of it, I get it. I get why people say it. And I, you know, and I can see it, you know? Yeah. And for the listeners, I think it's really important right now to be a good time to say this, you know, it's not like the movies, like, like very few people on planet earth are going to sell their company for billions of dollars. Like that, that is, that's just not reality, right? That's not reality. I don't want entrepreneurs and anybody listening to the Rider Flex podcast to think, oh, I got a business idea and I'm going to start it. And then a bunch of people are going to give me money and then I'm going to exit in three years and be a billionaire. Like that, the chances of that happening are so, you, you have a better chance of getting struck by lightning. I mean, <laughs> and, and so, you know, if you are running a $10 million company and it's paying you $200,000 a year, and you have a good lifestyle, congratulations. Good for you. Feel good about that, right? I mean, Agreed. seriously. And, and and if you call Krista and you have stage come in, <laughs> if you have stage come in and buy your company because you're you're struggling and you get a nice little payout for that to like pay off your debt and pay for your house and like, I don't know, buy a little condo in Arizona and be done. Cool. Congratulations. Um <laughs> I think that's okay. I really think it's okay for people. I think it's important to remind people that that's okay because it's not, it's not just about uh, cashing out for billions of dollars because very few people are going to do that. No, it, it, it is, it is the journey. Like for eight years, I got to run my company. I got, I generally got paid once, once we hit a certain point, I was able to get <laughs> paid. You know, I worked with people that I loved. I loved what I did every day, you know, even when it was hard. Yeah. Yep. And, you know, and, and it was amazing. And I can't, it was experience. I wouldn't trade that, you know, for mm, having right. stayed in advertising and worked in like, you know, working my way up the ladder for those 10 years. Like it just, so, and most of us don't get to do what we love. So I think if you have the privilege of being a founder, you know, and yes. doing what you love every day, like, man, that's a gift, you know, it really is. And it it's really hard is. to see you know, cause people tell you that the billion dollar exit or whatever is the only thing that matters. And you know, it's just, it's, it's just not. No, it's just not. It's so interesting. You bring that up. We had somebody call us the other day uh, that, that thought they thought they might be interested in acquiring Ryder Flex and they got Scott and I on the phone and, 
and they're like, Hey, you guys ever thought of you, you get tired of being owners? Do you want to like, do you want to like sell and, you know, and, and, you know, be just being, just be an employee and stuff. And Scott was, <laughs> Scott, Scott was like, no, I've never had that thought. I, <laughs> and I, I, and I told the nice lady that was talking to us, I said, look, here's the deal. Like if I ever have to like send an email to a boss on a Friday and ask him if I can leave early for the afternoon again, if I ever have to do that in my life again, I'm going to shoot myself in the head. So no, I'm not interested. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> yeah, so, exactly. exactly. To your point, <laughs> to your point, the freedom, like, like the freedom, if you're listening to this podcast and you're thinking about starting a business and you're 30 something years old, go for it, man, go for it. Worst case scenario, you have to go get another job if it doesn't work. Big deal. Like, you know, you, you know, go for it. I, I really encourage people because you're so right. I wouldn't trade building Rider Flex for any amount of money. I just, I wouldn't. I mean, Scott and I just barely paid ourselves a livable wage last year, uh, you know. <laughs> but still, the, the, the freedom and flexibility and enjoyment of doing that is so rewarding. Like, I can't even put a price tag on it. Uh, to your point. Uh, so uh, if you haven't had a chance to be an entrepreneur and you're thinking about it and you're listening to this episode, go for it. That's all I can tell you. You know, people are like, oh, if it didn't work, you know, how am I going to make my car payment, you know, and stuff. Okay. So they repossess your car. Who cares? Big deal. You'll get another car. <laughs> <laughs> Just go for it. Uh, I know we only got seven minutes left. Can I, I want to ask you a couple of questions here, by the way, for sure. the listeners, just, you know, let me make sure everybody knows it is stagefund.com, right? Stagefund.com. And you can look up Krista Morgan on LinkedIn, send her a bunch of LinkedIn messages, like trying to sell her stuff because she really <laughs> likes those. <laughs> love those. I love those. I, I get up and race 10 or 15 of those every morning. Um, a couple of last minute questions here. So, we could do a whole podcast on your tips for entrepreneurs, but if you had to pick two or three things that you would tell an aspiring entrepreneur listening right now, that's thinking about doing something, what, what would you say? I thinking about say, thinking about starting I, something. Yeah. I would say it's, it's really not rocket science. You know, mm -hmm. it just, it is about, you know, being curious, like being driven, you know, and just, and just being willing, right? Like just sort of saying yes to a lot of things, talking to a lot of people, figuring things out. You know, I, I think it feels very intimidating. How do I raise money? How do I get started? How do I do this thing? And honestly, like people ask me, how did you figure it out? I'm like, I just, I Googled a lot of, like I went for a lot of coffee meetings and I Googled right. a lot of shit like, <laughs> and I figured it out and it's not rocket science. And like, it, yeah, so that, I guess that's my advice. Um, how about, how about a quick tip for anybody thinking of taking some PE money? Uh, any uh, quick, quick uh, hurdles to look out for? Anything you want to tell them? I, yes. Just, just know who you're taking money from, you know, in the end, sometimes you don't have a lot of choice and you just got to take money from whoever, but, you know, especially in a control relationship, go into it with your eyes open, ask for references, just be like aware of what you're getting into. 
you know, mm. so that you're, so that you're prepared. Cause it, it is different, especially if you're a founder, like going from I'm totally in charge to now someone else is in charge is a, mm-hmm. is a big shift. Even if you're big still deal. the CEO, even if you're still the founder. So it's a huge I, deal. I think, it's a huge yes. deal. Yep. So you just want to, you just want to, you just want to know, you know, for good or for good or for bad. So that'd be my, my yeah, that, that's a, you know, that's a huge one. I'm glad you touched on that. You know, if you've been a captain for 10 years and all of a sudden you're not in control, well, that is a major cultural shift that many founders do not recover from. Like they just can't do it. They can't handle it. You know, yeah. uh, and I'm sure you look for that early when you when you invest. I'm sure your eagle eye, you're like watching for that right away, right? To see if see if uh, it's going to be okay. <laughs> yeah, and having a backup plan right on my side as private equity yeah. investor, like for us, we have backup plans because we're like we know there's yes. always risk, no matter yes. how good we are, no matter mm-hmm. what we try to do, there is always risk that the founder is going to just mm-hmm. leave, and so you know we have to get our contingency plan in place for that. Totally agree. Two last questions. If you could call Krista at the, at the age of 21 coming out of school in Canada and tell her anything based on all the stuff you've learned now so far in life, what would you tell her? You know, I would just... I would tell her to tell her the same things I would tell an entrepreneur, which is I would tell her to work hard and be really curious and, you know, be willing to just say yes to a lot of things because you just never know where it's going to take you. Okay. All right. And then the last question is uh, core purpose. If you had to kind of define your core purpose in life, like what's the reason Krista's walking around on this blue ball in this giant black space beyond fam? So now you have a beautiful new daughter, right? But let's, let's, let's separate, let's separate your family for a minute. Aside from family, what is Krista's core purpose in life? That is a tough question, but I think, I think probably changes as you go about your life. But for right now, you know, the Krista who's about to turn 40 this summer. (laughs) So that's a big milestone. I would say my, my core purpose is really to, right now I'm very much in a state of like how, like, oh God, you know, just how, how do I help, like, how do I help entrepreneurs and how do I help companies be successful? Like that is, I just, okay. you know, that's, okay. that's what I think. You're going to have to, you're going to, you're going to have to put, you're going to have to put that into a smooth sentence. You can think about, <laughs> I was having, I was having a glass of wine with a mentor of mine out on his back porch one day. And he's like, what's your core purpose, man? And I'm like, I tried to say like, oh, I want to make the world a better place or something. <laughs> he's like, no, 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 no. He's like, no. No, you need like, something yeah. snappier than that. He's like, no, he's like, no. And so then I, 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 I shit you not. I came home that afternoon and I came home. My wife was in the kitchen. She was making some dinner and she looks at me. She, she goes, what's wrong with you? She goes, you look like you're upset. I'm like, yeah, I'm upset. I'm 50 years old. I don't even know what my core purpose is. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I worked I lo- on it. I love it. Well, I, well, so now I got 10 years on you. So now I'm going to, I'm going to better have a really good core purpose by the time I'm 50. Right. Right. 
Uh, Krista, thank you so much for being on the Rider Flex podcast. I really appreciate it. It was my pleasure. Really enjoyed it. 